Welcome to the podcast of the fabulous Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Michael Gordon, and I'm proud to serve as the 95th president of the greatest Rotary Club in the world. Our club serves our local and international community through a variety of projects, but our main focus is on youth literacy. If you're ever in town for either business or pleasure, we invite you to join us at one of our weekly lunches. More information about meeting time and location can be found at lasvegasrotary.com. Now, sit back and enjoy this week's speaker. We have a wonderful speaker this afternoon. Uh, Noah Hafes is with us from Hyperloop One. And Noah has an extensive background in major construction management. He was the project manager for the Springs Preserve, which was the first lead platinum campus in the United States and the Nevada State Museum. And he was also an assistant construction manager on Southern Nevada Water Authority's intake number three and low lake level pump station with an estimated cost of $1.5 billion. So Noah has now engaged his knowledge and experience to help develop the future mode of transport, Hyperloop One. This is science fiction, guys, but it's coming true. Hyperloop One's vision is to reinvent transportation to eliminate the barriers of distance and time. So Noah will tell us what Hyperloop is doing to bring this dream to reality. Noah, he's doing Yes. Thank you for so much for having me today. I was joking around at the table here. I did a presentation at the Ely Rotary Club a few years back, and there wasn't quite this many people. So, <laughs> okay. Thank you. All right. Let's see if we can get the tech. All right, so I'm going to start out today on, with a video because everybody loves videos, right? Apologize, all of our stuff disconnected during lunch. No, I'm good, thank you. Hopefully our mode of transportation will be faster than this computer, so just bear with me. Let's just see if I can do it.
The Hyperpod is the long-haul vehicle of the Hyperloop One system. It is a comfortable and safe transport hull for passenger and cargo pods. All levitation and guidance systems fit seamlessly underneath. Secure airlocks are at each end. Inside the Hyperpod, passenger and cargo pods can glide smoothly at airline speeds right to their destination. So now what I'll do is I will go into greater detail for you to explain what you saw in that uh, video today and why it's ultimately needed for the world as a whole. Uh, right now our transportation infrastructure uh, across the entire world is struggling due to uh, the growth of uh, financial mobility among uh, many different countries. And you see it all across the board from airlines to light rail, heavy rail uh, systems, and even our cargo ships. So what you can see here is uh, how we're reinventing transportation to eliminate barriers of distance and time. That's ultimately the goal of our company is to shrink down uh, barriers that you're de currently dealing with at this moment by uh, eliminating the distance, by eliminating how long it takes you to get there. And this is how, what the system looks like. You have a passenger cargo pod. You have a low pressure tube or a vacuum environment for the tube. Oh, sorry. We're really having a lot of technical difficulties today. Good Lord. All right, and uh, electromagnetic propulsion, so it uses stator motors to push it linearly across the tube itself, and passive magnetic levitation. So there is no tires or anything actually touching the track itself. It's levitating as it goes through, which ultimately creates a very low drag situation with the um, propulsion as well as low air resistance when it comes to the low pressure tube or vacuum environment. So what this ultimately brings to our technology is the speed of being able to go 300 meters per second. That's 1,080 kilometers an hour. 
or for us Americans, 671 miles per hour. So the configuration of our stations are set up in a cylindrical pattern to allow for pods coming into the station and leaving the uh, station on demand every minute or so versus waiting for one train to leave every few hours or so. It connects to existing modes of transportation. What we're planning right now is connecting anything from hospitals, airports, against, uh, against existing downtown infrastructures and direct to your destination. Because you're in a smaller pod configuration, everyone that's in the pod is actually going directly to where you want to go. If you're going from LA to San Francisco, for example, you're not stopping now off in San Jose, which also adds uh, uh, efficiencies in your speed from destination to destination. And you really start seeing this when you look at different connection points between New York and Washington, DC. Down on the bottom is a car, and if you can't see it, 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 it normally takes about four hours and 30 minutes to get from New York to DC with a car. About the same amount of time on an airplane because you're uh, dealing with TSA and also your wait time before you load the plane, etc. The train system that they have now is four hours and five minutes, and their high-speed train only gets you there in three hours and 25 minutes. With the Hyperloop system, it's a quick 58-minute uh, trip. So you see these benefits across the entire globe. Dubai to Abu Dhabi in 12 minutes, normally an hour and a half trip. Houston to Dallas in 20 minutes. Helsinki to Stockholm, which is now either a plane ride or an extremely long boat ride, would only take 28 minutes. So right now we're reinventing transportation for the social, economic, and environmental impacts uh, to ultimately be a positive for our entire planet. So you've seen over the years, back in the Industrial Revolution days, early 1800s, we started to bring trains to our transportation infrastructure. And this allowed us to be able to connect to cities that we had never been able to go uh, quickly to before. It was a horse and buggy type uh, mobility before that. Uh, personal mobility with cars came online in the late 1800s and that allowed us to have suburbs and develop even larger cities. Then early 1900s, the plane was invented and people got to see the world. They got to travel for personal and business from United States to Europe back and forth and connected cultures and people together in a way never known before. And what we're trying to do by 2020 is to have on-demand uh, transportation with hyper-connected mega-regions. And I'll explain what hyper-connected mega-regions mean. So right now from New York, in a 30-minute travel radius, you're not getting outside of New York at this moment. With, with a Hyperloop system, you can now can connect DC, Boston, and New York in 30 minutes. And you can imagine what kind of benefits that has for the economic um, abilities to have companies, people living for in one place and being able to uh, work in another, etc. So again, going back to what I said earlier, we're not selling just transportation, we're selling times. You're allowing, due to the speed of this system, to enable 10 X further commute in the same amount of time. And what that allows uh, to happen to these mega regions is access to higher wages, reducing costs. You see that between LA and Las Vegas. You could uh, travel into LA every day for work if you wanted to and live in Vegas or vice versa. 
Cut down for weeks uh, per year, spent in travel delays, reducing um, dam uh, dangers with commuting. I, you know, I was telling these gentlemen that I've traveled an hour to work and an hour back from work for the last nine years now. I could add like three doctorates by now, and you know, but instead it was inside of a st steel vehicle. Um, access to city attractions and cultures that you're not normally able to get to on a regular basis. Be able to go to the beach tonight, be able to go to the concert hall in San Francisco, for example. And then ultimately connecting to other modes of transportation, airports, hospitals, schools, etc. So what this does to your mega region is be able to, uh, the transportation investment in the Hyperloop system leads to economic growth in these mega regions. Real estate values increase up uh, more than 10%. Job growth and productivity, uh, allowing you to bring talent from that entire region into your business place is now easily available without needing to relocate people or change their lives. Approve access to talent and customers. Like I said, now with these mega regions, you're reaching up to 10 times more people to hire for your companies. So here's a video of uh, what the system could look like, uh, putting together not only physical transportation of people, but goods as well. So you can see the cargo going from manufacturing facility to the cargo ships, from the cargo ships inland uh, to the final closest destination, the small distribution hubs. Uh, one of our partners is Amazon with their drones they're working on to be able to deliver goods to their distribution facilities and then the drones take them directly to your house. So right now this system as implemented in whatever mega region you're complete uh, you're eliminating barriers by being able to transport so supplier chain issues you can do just in time production um, demand driven fulfillment no need to warehouse large amounts of items uh, you can have supplier diversification by having more suppliers within a short time period and uh, then you can have warehouse consolidation as well if you wanted to have your warehouse way outside of town and be able to move everything in town very quickly, you, that can be done. So what this does for the supply chain in your given mega region is up to a 10 billion annual supply uh, chain benefit, shortens uh, lead times, uh, reduces warehouse space, and reduces finished good inventory. So also the system uh, reduces congestion by taking cars off the road, creates cleaner, more beautiful lives and community, and sustainable op operations. Believe it or not, since the whole system is run off electricity, uh, what we've been able to figure out is if you just put solar panels on top of the tube system, you could power the system plus some and actually deliver power to the power grid itself. So, and so the power it is running off of is as clean as the power that is being delivered to the system, whichever power plant or solar, wind, etc. So here's a potential U.S. network that we're working on a feasibility study for. You can imagine connecting all of those cities uh, for you to be able to get to. And so the system itself would have $66 billion worth of annual revenue, would affect 270 million passengers, so a good swath of the United States, have $500 billion in wider economic benefits. And this is the big item, is the, the system costs over a trillion dollars, and people say, 
you know, why would you put that kind of money in infrastructure? What, you know, where's that money going to come from? But very quickly, the GDP increase in the United States is $1.5 trillion a year. So you see money in how quickly those rewards are reaped. You see this throughout the world in Gulf regions, now connecting all those cities uh, no more than an hour apart. See it in uh, Northern European communities as well. And of course, across the entire globe, and then I always laugh at this slide, of course, we'll conquer the moon someday as well. <laughs> so the future is happening right now. I showed you a nice, pretty slides, a lot of graphics and everything. But the reality is now it is happening. There are people working on this and moving forward very quickly on developing the system. Our company alone started in 2014. In that time period, we've developed low-cost tube structures, custom-designed linear motors that had never been uh, designed for that capacity before, the passive Magdalev levitation system for the pod, new track and guidance systems, and control and safety platforms that are apt uh, mobilized so you can actually just get on your phone, call for the ride, comes pick you up, and everything's autonomous. So different solutions to fit different needs. You can go with our larger tube systems for shipping containers, so large freight if you wanted to. Why not? If you want that F-150 tonight, you order it on your phone, comes out of the warehouse, and it gets shipped to your front door that evening passenger container and uh, pallets, so that's your medium-sized items, all the way down to courier items. Can you imagine just putting a box in a tube and it goes to the next location you want it to go to? Direct and on-demand, like I had mentioned before, it doesn't stop anywhere else except for its final de destination. On-demand with autonomous high capacity due to the frequency of the pods moving and comfortable. Like People wonder, what is this going to feel like? And, the acceleration and deceleration would be very similar to a commercial jet, so no uncomfortable feeling. And then due to how it's levitated and propelled, there's not a huge engine making a lot of noise, so it would be just like you heard in the video, just a light hum. Fast, reliable, and safe, uh, like I mentioned earlier, up to 700 miles an hour. Reliable. It's in a tube environment, other underground, above ground. It doesn't get disturbed by weather or other issues. Automated, eliminating human errors, and environmental controls, very similar to a plane. You're creating an environment in a, in a plane, you're creating an environment in these pods, so very similar. And I had always said, you know, I'd been lucky enough to go to Europe and go on their high-speed trains, and you realize when you're going 200 miles an hour, if something happens, you're going to be about two, three miles in the bushes somewhere. With this system, it's an enclosed system. If something happens, you're contained, you're safe. So efficient construction, right now we're working on different modes of uh, construction to automate our construction process, lighter engineering structure, faster construction, and cheaper tunneling methodologies. Uh, reducing land costs due to the flexibility of the system, being able to put it underground, even under the ocean, above grade. All those systems allow us to be able to reduce our land costs and uh, reduce right-of-way issues. Uses less energy due to, earlier I said, the low friction and pressure environment, and low maintenance. There's really only two moving parts on the entire system. So, and you can see how Hyperloop compares to other existing modes of transportation right now. 
Cost to benefit ratio uh, compared to high-speed train is 1.3. Uh, maglevs 1.9. And the Hyperloop has a 4.5 uh, benefit to cost ratio. I'd mention how quiet it is, uh, conserves energy, zero direct emissions. Again, whatever the emissions of the power source is supplying to it. Low footprint due to its flexibility and minimal noise. So expanding our global reach right now with our commercial opportunities we're looking into. And the reason why there is so interest around the entire world right now for our system is because you can see here that only by 2020, there needs to be a $1.4 trillion investment in transportation infrastructure right now. That's really only surpassed by water, which you know is how big of an issue around the world, and energy to supply power for all of our cities. So multiple different market cases for our technology. Uh, we're looking just to get you from the airport to the metro system, from one city to another and regional connections from multiple different countries that are closely located. One thing that's really hot and heavy right now is um, Dubai is looking at building an island offshore and moving their cargo inland uh, using a Hyperloop system because then you keep the pollution from the ships off at sea and not affecting your population centers. Uh, medium freight networks I had mentioned like Amazon Prime and then large freight networks, more like perishable items that you can transport large items quickly to, from city to city. So five projects right now are underway at different levels. There's a pre-feasibility study in uh, the Netherlands. Uh, right now there's a design study from bringing cargo from the port of Long Beach into the Inland Empire, um, avoiding all that traffic jam between them, uh, between Sweden and Finland and Dubai, the two different options are between Abu Dhabi and Dubai and from the, the island inland to Dubai. So tremendous demand around the world. This really excited us when we put out um, a ask for proposals, a request for proposal, and we got over 60 proposals back from 25 different countries. We limit, um, put that down to 35 semifinalists and amazingly, 20 of those semifinalists have direct government-backed support at this moment. So here's some more details on some of the different connections I talked to you about. So from um, a, in Amsterdam, you see the 41 minutes by train, uh, tr I'm sorry, by car, two hours and six minutes by train, and it's about 12 minutes by the Hyperloop. And then you're looking at between Abu Dhabi and Dubai taking a 90-minute car ride to a 12-minute Hyperloop ride. And you know, anymore with any cities, the traffic with cars and everything is getting worse and worse. And it's not getting better. And so these time frames are based off of today's date. This one I talked to you a little bit earlier from Stockholm to Helsinki. Right now it's either a one-hour plane ride or it's a 17-hour and 30-minute boat ride, which a lot of people, believe it or not, do take. And so the, these countries are highly interested in creating a mega regions where those two countries can be connected like never before, uh, bringing their connection time down to 28 minutes. And you see it in Australia as well, taking a car ride that's 11 hours long to 55 minutes. Can you imagine? And then the one I talked about from the port of Long Beach into San Bernardino. 
um, go back onto that one. So it takes about 100 minutes by truck without traffic at this moment, eight minutes with a Hyperloop. Uh, long haul trips from Chicago to LA, instead of one and a half to three days by truck, three and a half hours by the Hyperloop. And I had mentioned earlier, like, not only is this a dream of what we want to do, this is what we're building today. And so we're building our team right now for success. Right now we have over, uh, and right now it's actually over 300 employees uh, between our LA and Las Vegas campuses. And you see all those companies that we're currently partnering with as long as, as well as uh, university engineering uh, students as well. And so a lot of demand, a lot of knowledge base, and a lot of movement towards making this happen in the near future. This is a picture inside of our innovation campus in LA. We have a 300,000 uh, square foot manufacturing facility up in uh, Metalworks up in North Las Vegas. This is where we do a lot of our um, larger scale manufacturing and modification. Here's some more pictures of inside that building. And then we have a North Las Vegas, we call it POTE, and it's, a, it's the proof of testing the propulsion system itself and how fast we can get the system. This is an open air track, so it's not the full system with the vacuum and the levitation, et cetera, but it's um, testing our propulsion methodology. And we were able to get in a relatively short track, 187 kilometers an hour in one second. So put that in perspective, it's much faster than even a top fuel dragster. Um, and then we started working up in North Las Vegas, up in Apex on our DevLoop site. It's the first full-scale uh, Hyperloop system. You can see the tubes uh, lined up, ready to go out on our track. There's a vacuum pump being uh, installed into the, uh, our facility as well. You can see some, the DevLoop itself uh, off to the left. You can see tents where we do some of our final weldments and modifications. And then right there down on the bottom, this is kind of neat, I like it because the, this guy's called a Loterno. It was used to move large growth forest trees and now we use it to move our tubes. So right now this is happening. And I think a lot of people in Las Vegas uh, should be proud that this is happening in our back door. You can imagine this is Kitty Hawk. I mean, this is where, you know, the first plane took off and that place will always be remembered of where that was first developed and tested. And this is the same exact thing for this technology. Uh, years from now, be able to bring kids and grandkids out to it and be able to say, hey, this is where the first Hyperloop was, which I think is a very big thing for our city. So the nice thing I like to say is history was made in 2017, if you haven't seen the videos. We uh, built the DevLoop system itself, our first uh, scale model. Down the road, it'll be able to, or I'm sorry, full scale model. And down the road, we will expand that and test other items of the system to ultimately bring a full production facility uh, by 2020-2021. So there's a neat little picture. This is the pod itself that would transport people being uh, taken from the uh, crane itself and installed in the DevLoop. And this is how quickly we've come. By 20, uh, 2014, we were in a garage with three people in LA. And very quickly, uh, 2015, we're uh, creating a lev rig inside of a full office in LA. 
uh, testing vacuum systems, moving on to actually testing the first uh, system itself in 2016, and then the first full-scale system and uh, this year as well. So that kind of gives you a little bit better picture. The May 2016 propulsion air test, uh, full-scale testing was this year. And by 2021, we want to be having a proof of operation system where we're developing regulatory compliances, safety uh, protocols, as et cetera. And that's kind of an interesting thing for me to start developing because believe it or not, the system's never existed before and you can't believe that there's not regulations behind it yet. So that's what we're working on now. So hopefully I can get the internet working because I have one more video to show you to actually prove to you I'm not uh, making this stuff up. <laughs> all right, all parties ready for tests? Five, four, three, two, one, fire. So one of the nerdy things for me is that if you saw the LED lights that were circumferential on the inside of the tube itself, that's only a single LED strand, but it was moving so fast it looked like six or seven of them. And so really neat to really see that finally happen after all of our hard work. And believe it or not, we started building that in the desert with nothing, not graded, no infrastructure to support us, nothing in September of last year. And we're full-scale testing as we speak. So, any questions? <laughs> I told I only have five minutes. I've got the first one. Who's doing your real estate? <laughs> Hi, I have a question about the passenger ones. So, yes. personally, I love the idea. It's fantastic, and I can't wait to ride one. Um, just on the passenger safety side, yes. what would happen, because it's completely enclosed, what would happen if there was a security issue, let's say, hostage situation or terrorism or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's a very good question. And like, there's a different couple ways to approach it. Like when you're comparing this system to an airplane, the difference is that that person cannot hijack this system. They, it, there's normally only going to be your car or there's going to be less than 30 passengers in the pod. It's in a contained environment. It's only going point A to point B. It can't be taken off route to cause you know, terrorist acts, for example. So uh, there will be security protocol with facial recognition and making sure that the, you're the person you are being able to get on the system, but it won't be anything to the level of TSA where you have to 
all your bags and everything else. The other issue I get asked is what happens if somebody blows up a section. And the real neat part about this system is it has airlocks throughout its uh, path. And so if one section blew up, you could seal off just that section and allow the rest of the transportation to actually happen or bring everybody to a controlled stop. So uh, I'm looking forward to breakfast in Las Vegas, lunch in San Diego, and dinner in San Francisco. Right. But uh, Can you imagine? Stu studying history, uh, back in 1869, uh, an Alfred Beach uh, built a uh, pneumatic uh, subway underneath uh, New York City. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long time between now and 2017. Uh, what, what are the barriers really moving forward? I know you have a timeline, but you know, are they technology? Are they money? Are they investment? Are they, wh what are the real barriers? Yeah, very good question. I appreciate that. So, of course, right now we're not making any money because we're not selling tickets. So continued investment in our company is highly important uh, due to the fact that, in my opinion, the technology is there. We're building it right now. That's not going to stop. It's just having enough time to get it to the point where it's safe enough to transport people. Like right now, I would put my cargo on it, no problem. But, you know, so that's a couple other levels. The other thing I would just want to say is right-of-ways. That's going to be a huge issue for especially countries like the United States. Is if the right-of-ways aren't granted and available, that's going to hinder any development in this country. We learned something in, uh, from 9-11, that Las Vegas is a city that basically has one, one way in and one way out. And because of the fact when the planes were, were uh, gr uh, grounded and the fact that we don't have passenger rail, uh, the Homeland Security Commission has always been very concerned. Um, what happens if Los Angeles wants to come to Las Vegas? In other words, there's, there's a need to bring a lot of people into Las Vegas or out of Las Vegas. Yeah. You're missing the boat and not also talking about the fact of, because we saw that magical thing, government government subsidy. Uh, there should be significant government subsidy because that is a, a priority. How to get people out of Las Vegas if we had to. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I couldn't say more about that. And that is one thing that's being looked at. Um, the connection between us and LA really is a right-of-way issue though. And so that's where I agree. Government support's gonna have to make it happen. Thank you. Thanks Noah, thanks for coming today. Um, and I'm sure Noah will stick around for to answer any questions should people have them. Noah, we always give a soul power award. Uh, we will give a pair of shoes and socks to a needy child in your name. So pause for the photo. <laughs> Thank Thanks so for speaking to us today. And then, as I say, rotary is like tennis. The one who serves best usually wins. Now go forth and make a difference. Thank you for joining us for another wonderful meeting of the Rotary Club of Las Vegas. If you're interested in membership or want to know more about our upcoming projects and speakers, please visit lasvegasrotary.com for more information. Now go forth and make a difference.